All right, friends, go ahead and grab your Bibles uh, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one of those underneath your seat. You can take that home with you if you do not have a copy of God's Word. That's uh, our gift to you. It's kind of hard to believe that uh, we're almost finished uh, with our trek that we've been doing all throughout the year. We've been, if you're kind of new with us, we've been walking through the Bible uh, chronologically this year, starting back in January. We've, we've been reading the Bible together on our own time with Jesus, and then we come in and we preach uh, from a portion of that uh, reading uh, every weekend gathering. And so it's great to be in Second Corinthians 3 uh, together this morning. Uh, man, as you guys are turning there, though, let me just say a couple things, uh, kind of introductory to kind of jump in. Uh, one, I'm so thankful for our teaching team here at Tri-Cities. Like, I'm so thankful that our church is not uh, just centered around one person. It's not around me, thank the Lord, and it's not around Mike or Daniel or Paul or any of us. That It really is uh, Jesus is our lead pastor uh, around here, and we are grateful to be able to do this together. So I'm thankful for brothers that, man, the last few weeks have just been such uh, stout sermons. I've been listening to those on the podcast. They've been awesome. So I'm thankful for the level of teaching that we have here at this church. And sorry you're going to put up with me uh, this morning after all of that. Uh, but also thanks for the time off. You guys as a faith family, you don't realize like you allow me to take time away when I take time away. And so I've had the last couple of weeks uh, to be not really off, uh, but to be with my family. So if you don't, I haven't heard or don't know or haven't followed me on social media and got inundated with all of the posts that my wife and I have made, we had our first baby boy on November 19th. Go ahead and throw his sweet picture up there. Isn't he precious? Oh man. And thanks to our own Beth Mears, she took that photo for us and she did such a great job. Man, he's awesome. I love him. I miss him already. So I'm going to maybe preach short so I can go home to be with him. Uh, that's where I've been and that's why I have bags underneath my eyes, okay? Uh, that's why, and I'm not accountable for anything I say this morning, okay? I am so, so tired. I know, I hope that God grades on a curve this morning because it's, you know, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. That's a terrible thing, sleep deprivation. It really is. It's terrible. Um, but here's, here's some um, um, lessons that I've learned over the last few weeks, okay? Here's a lesson I've learned over the last few weeks. Uh, help trying to raise uh, the last few weeks with a little baby Bo is his name, by the way. Bo is his name. Uh, here, here's, the, here's a couple lessons, and this, I promise this is not random. It's setting up um, the text a little bit this morning, okay? Here's what God's been doing in my heart the last couple weeks. Um, first... Here's the lessons from a baby. You ready? I'm a selfish person. <laughs> like, I've learned that over the last couple of weeks, that I do not want to be awakened at 3 a.m. Like, there's nothing in me that wants to be awake at that t- hour of the night. So I'm so selfish, and I've, because of the sleep deprivation, I'm so irritable. Man, I'm irritable. I've had to apologize to my wife more in the last two weeks than I have her whole marriage. Like, just snapping, like, babe, I'm sorry. That's the sleep deprivation. I haven't had coffee. I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean it. I love you. You're awesome. You're my hero. Um, that's a big lesson, by the way. My wife's my hero by, by far, what she's been able to do. Uh, but also, I've learned I'm arrogant. I'm so arrogant that I literally just, I'm not comfortable not being in control and not knowing, like, what to do. Like, I'm completely oblivious. This is our first child, and I'm like, he's squeaking. Is that because he's cute or is he dying? I don't know. Like, I don't understand. I'm, like, Googling everything. The nurses are just tired of me. Like, they were ready to kick us out of the hospital. I was asking so many questions. Like, it bothers me to not know. And I'm so arrogant. I think I need to know. I think I need to be in control of my life. And I, I want to be in control so much, I don't like to be dependent on God. And now that's true all the time, but it's taking a little baby to teach me that in a, in, a, in a really fresh way, that I'm dependent on God. I could do nothing to help my wife 
when she was in more pain than I've ever seen anybody experience in, in, ever. I couldn't do anything to help her. I, 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 there's just so many moments that I'm going, I really have nothing. Like, I've got nothing. I'm here, I'm present, I'm trying not, I'm trying to keep him alive, you know. Like, I've got nothing in my power to do what this boy needs. I can't be his daddy like he needs me to be. And I get so frustrated. And listen, I'm, I'm a doubter. Like my, my own heart by, by proxy, like my tendency is to doubt. And it's been escalated the last two weeks with this little boy. Like I'm tempted to not believe that God will keep his promises. I'm just tempted to believe that. Like that's your pastor, sorry. Like I don't have it all together. And, and I doubt that he really has what's best. I, I, I get frustrated, I'm worried, I'm anxious so much. I've also learned a lesson that, that suffering in our lives, like pain, always precedes glory. Like, I, I never saw more pain than in that delivery. I didn't have to go through it, but my wife did. You know, she was breaking my hand. That was about it. Um, I had a little bit of pain to do with it. So much pain, right? But so much glory as, as a result. Like this gift. And even now, like, like discipline. Like discipline. It's hard to get up in the middle of the night. Like, it's not natural, but it's worth it because he's my boy. Like, the joy of being his daddy far outweighs any sacrifice or payment that I'm making. Does that make sense? Like, if you guys call me at 3 a.m. and the only thing you need is you're hungry, like, we're going to have a talk. You know, like, no one has that access to me. Like, call me if you need something. Like, I'm okay to be called at 3 a.m., but not if you're hungry. Like, go to the fridge and get something your own self, all right? The only person that can wake me up at 3 a.m. other than my wife is little baby Bo because he's my boy. And it's worth the discipline. Discipline is worth it if the reward is greater than the cost. Amen? Let that sink. Discipline is worth it if the reward is greater than the cost. He's been teaching me this. And then also, here's then the biggest one, is what it means for God to be Father. It's only been two weeks. Like I, I know I'm going to jump into deeper depth. I haven't learned anything yet. It's been two weeks. But here's what God's pressing into me. What it means for God to be Father. Like my dad was absent. He walked out on me. I, I, I look at God in a kind of twisted way. And that for the, to think about the, the joy that God has in us. He loves you. He delights in you. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's king. He rules over all things. But he has revealed himself to you and I to be our father, our daddy. The spirit of God cries out in our hearts, crying out what? Abba, father, Abba, literally daddy, that intimate acquaintance with the God of the universe. He's our father. And what that means, what that means. So listen, I I don't know that we really are pressing into that i don't know if we really believe that about god and i think a lot of us are there here's the point i have a long 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 way to go in this whole becoming like jesus thing okay i knew that but i'm learning it in a deeper way the last couple weeks like he's peeling back like i thought i was farther along than i actually am and this little human (laughs) has taught me so much about myself so much about my sin so much about grace and what god is doing in us and here's what i also know is that that's happening in every person in this room's lives right now. Now, it might not be a baby, okay? God's using you a baby to that, but he's doing that in you. That's what he's doing. So maybe you're walking in here with a lot of questions this morning. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you have so much stuff going on in your life, and you're about to throw your hands up and say, God, what are you doing right now? Now, I don't have the answers to all the questions, and I'm not going to act like I do, but I do know this, that I do know 
that God is conforming us. He's molding us. He's chipping away at all of the stuff that's not like him. And he's molding us to be not a better version of ourselves. But he's molding us to be more like Jesus. That's what he's doing in you. I know that for a fact. And it's a good work. And it's worth whatever chipping, whatever pain you're going through right now, it's worth it because he is making us to be like Jesus. And so here's a question to kind of set up the text this morning. Are you more like Jesus today than you were last year? Praise the Lord, Mike. That's awesome. And I know you are. I can see it in you, man. I can see that in so many of us. Are you more like Jesus today? How are you more like Jesus? Like, have you been more conformed? Let's not even go last year. Let's go last week. Let's go yesterday. Are you more conformed to the image of the Son? Are you becoming more like Jesus? In what ways are you not becoming like Jesus? Because those are probably the things you need to deal with right now. Because I saw a tweet about this one day. And it says, imagine that you were to have coffee with Jesus this afternoon, like you have a coffee date with Jesus himself, sitting there at Starbucks or Willow Tree or, or Steel Rails over in Irwin. Nice little plug for you there, Ben. Um, and you're sitting there at Steel Rails, and you're having a cup of coffee with Jesus. And what would you be nervous about him bringing up? Because you know he kind of like knows everything, and he look into your soul. Like, what would you be nervous about Jesus bringing up if you were to have coffee with him? Now, whatever that thing is that the Holy Spirit has put on your mind, you might want to talk to him about that today. Because he does know. He does know. So what I want us to see is like look back and see what the Lord has been so faithful to make you to be like Jesus. But we all have to understand, we have a long way to go in this process. There's so many areas that we still yet to really lean in and say, God, do this in me. Change me in this way. Hey, listen, I think that should be the goal of all of us. Like, is that your goal this week? To become more like Jesus? Of all the things you're going to do, college students, is it finals this week? Is that right? Sorry to bring that up and kill the mood this morning, but finals are this week, so you might want to be studying this afternoon. Um, whatever you've got going on, whatever goal you have, going to work, whatever it is, all of that should be at the center of it to become like Jesus. Are you, or do you have a strategy in how you do that? Are you intentional about it? Are you leaning in? Are you in community? Because that's how it happens. Like you're not going to become like Jesus, isolated from the body of Christ. He is our head. We are his body. And if if you're saying, I'm not really becoming like Jesus, maybe it's because you distance yourself from the body of Christ. And listen, I know so many of us, when I say that, the, the first reaction for so many of us is guilt. Shame. It's going, yeah, I know, I'm not doing enough. Yeah, no, I'm not, not what I'm supposed to be. Thank you, preacher, for reminding me of all the things I got wrong in my life. But here's, I know so many of us are tired. I see it in so many of our eyes. I know it's true for me. I'm physically tired. But also, like I was telling the team this morning, like my soul is tired. You may ever get there. Like, I'm just kind of like, uh, like, I'm in the Word, but like, I don't feel much in Him. And I just feel like He's distant. I know He's not, but that's just how I feel. And I, I'm just in that season. I'm just really, really tired. I went really hard this fall. Um, I just... I need to be refreshed. The last couple of weeks helped me in that a lot. Um, but I still have some ways to go in that. So I'm still leaning in in the middle of where I'm at right now. But I know so many of us are there. And here's what we can do. We can blame God. You can blame your spouse. You can blame your kids. You can blame your job. You can blame the church. You can blame your current situation. If we could just get something different, then it would fix me. 
And yeah, maybe your circumstances need to change. Maybe we need to get better at some things. But listen, that's not going to fix it. Christmas time and the gift is not going to fix it. Getting a better job is probably not going to fix it. Uh, yes, this church is a mess, okay? All churches are a mess. If we fix all the messes, then it's still not going to fulfill the longing of your soul. You get that, right? Only Jesus can. Like, Jesus is our refuge. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Like, he's our place of hiding. Like, he's where we run to, nothing else. So don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Here's what I know. We need more than a sermon. You know, like, this is kind of like the main part of my job, okay? So I want to keep preaching. And God's ordained preaching for a purpose to shape us, to be like Jesus. But we need more than a sermon. Like, one sermon that I preach, I feel the inadequacy of this. Like, I do not have words to be able to say to you for you to automatically fall in love with Jesus. Like, I can't do that. I don't have that in my power. We need more than a sermon. He can use sermons, but we need more than that. We need more than that. And, and kind of leaning into that idea, think about this. What if... I heard a pastor say this one time. What if Jesus, Jesus, was your teaching pastor? Like, think about that. Like, Jesus is here preaching this morning. One thing I know to be true, the preaching would be a lot better if Jesus were our teaching pastor. But think about this. If Jesus were here as our pastor leading this church, what would our church look like? What would we do? That's an awesome thought, isn't it? Think about that. What, what would you, your life be like if Jesus was walking beside you uh, this week? But I want you to look in John 16. You don't have to turn. The words will be on the screen. See you, Bo. See you later, buddy. John 16, verse 7. Uh, here's what Jesus had to say about that. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He's talking to his disciples here. It is to your advantage that I go away. So remember, G- the disciples are walking with Jesus. He is their pastor, so to speak. They have him in the flesh. And he looks at them right before he ascends back to heaven. And he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you to, if I go away. Why? For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So who's the helper that Jesus is talking about? The Holy Spirit. And literally that word helper in the, in the original, it's a helper of along the same kind. He's going to be like me. It's my spirit coming to be a part of you. If I don't go away, you're not going to get to him. And it's to your advantage that I leave so you can get him. So here's a summary that I think of what Jesus is saying uh, in, that, in that couple of verses. I can't remember what I wrote down. Here we go. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus with us. Like, that almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's okay to say it's better if Jesus was with me. But what he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus with us. Like, his indwelling Spirit of God, empowering us to be what we could not be on our own. It's better than if Jesus were here leading our church, or if he was walking along with you in your life this week. And so a couple of tendencies, I've got to be real quick with this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, because this is a Baptist church, and so here's two things that happen based on your background. You ready? The Holy Spirit is either, like, he's everything. Like, he's the only person of the Godhead. You freak out about the Holy Spirit, and where's my tambourine? You know, I'm going to go at it, be really charismatic, and just go for it. Like, that's just been your background. You're all about the Holy Spirit. You want to see the gifts, and you're all about that. You want to see manifestations of the gift, and you just say things like, man, the Spirit was really there today. You know, like, mm, I felt him. I felt the ghost, the Holy Ghost, you know. I, that's one false, like, you can go so much that you just say, he's the only person of the Godhead. I don't really care about the Father and the Son. Like, I want the ghost, you know? Or we get in the other direction, and we say, you know, the Holy Spirit, I've seen 
what we would call the wackos, you know, like the, the Benny Hens, and they fall on the ground. Like, I ain't want nothing to do with that. That's creepy. Like, I don't want that. If that's the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want him in my life. If that's what it happens when he fills me. I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. And so because of that, we've just kind of said, you know what? Like, I know he's there, the Holy Spirit, like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But, like, I don't really know, like, I don't have a relationship with him. Like, I don't really know what it means to, like, be submitted to him. I don't really know much about the Spirit. He seems like, uh, I heard one preacher say one time, he's like the weird uncle at your family gatherings, you know? He's like, you don't know what he's going to do, so you kind of stay away from him a little bit. And we don't know what to do with the Spirit of God. So either we have an unhealthy obsession with him or that we just avoid him. And notice I'm saying the him, right? Like, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's not an it. We're not talking Star Wars here, okay? This is not the force. Like, this, he's, a, he's the third person of the Trinity, Third person Trinity, God himself. So, with all of that being said, let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, because here's what our text is all about. The text is all about becoming like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So, we, that's what God's doing in us. He's making us like Jesus. We all have a really long way to go, right? So, what's the hope? It's not do more. It's not try harder. It's not listen to more sermons, necessarily. It is the Spirit of God in us to do the work of making us like Jesus. So we're going to look really briefly at what that looks like, okay? So let's read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read the first three verses here. Here's the first idea that you'll see unpacked in these verses. The Spirit makes authentic life change possible. The Spirit makes authentic life change possible. Let's read that together in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, Paul writes to the church at Corinth? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So here's what's happening. Paul's writing this church in Corinth. There's this church that's planted, much like a church like here at Tri-Cities, church at Corinth. And this pastor is writing these letters, and by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, this is from the mouth of God, and he's saying to them, like, some people were kind of doubting Paul as an apostle. So there's no apostles today. Apostles were one who had seen Jesus, had walked with Jesus, and they spoke on behalf of Jesus, and now we have that in Scripture, okay? Like, I'm not an apostle, I'm just a pastor. I don't, my words aren't authoritative. God's words are authoritative. But Paul is speaking on behalf of God. And some people, back in these days, doubted Paul. He said, you're not really an apostle. You don't really speak on behalf of God. And so some people would say, you need a letter of recommendation. Like, give me proof that your ministry is from God, that you really are who you say you are, that this re- gospel thing that you talk about, that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again, and I'm supposed to repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of sins and have new life and have a relationship with God and now live for his glory among the nations. You're saying all of that, but how can I know it's true? And so Paul says, listen, I don't need any letters of recommendation. I can write that to you, but you as the church of Corinth know this to be true about me. Like you know, you've seen the authenticity of my ministry. You know that the gospel I preach is the real deal. Why does he say that? He says, I don't have to prove myself to you. Why? I love what he says. I don't need a letter that shows me my authority. You know what? Because you are my letter. Like, you want to know that the gospel is true? Look at your own life. You are a letter of grace. Like, written by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, your life. Like, you are not who you used to be. God has done something in you, church at Corinth, Paul's saying. So, if you want proof that this is real, look at what 
the message that I'm preaching to you has done for you. Like, look inward and let that build your faith that this is true. This is actually reality. And, and it was only possible by grace. And he says that this was written by Christ and purchased through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Like, this is not something that Paul did. It's not something that they did. He says this is letters written by Christ by the Spirit. This is what God's doing in us. So I've I got to move on. I don't have time to unpack all of this. It's so rich. But listen, one of the greatest apologetics or the defenses of the gospel is life change. Like, I doubt, I worry intellectually, like, is this true? And there's answers to some of those doubts. There are. But something I cannot get away from is I know, I know, you can't convince me otherwise of what God has done in me. Like, I'm not the same person that I used to be. He's, he's transformed my life. Like, and listen, I told you I've got a long way to go. And it's, that's not saying that I've got anything of myself. It is all the work of God in my life. But there's grace. I look back and say, like, I know how jacked up I am, and yet he still uses me. He's still, like, I'm overcoming sin that I could never have overcome on my own. Can I be honest? I used to be such an angry person. My mama's sitting right there. She can tell you. She's, like, kind of smiling because she knows. She's seen some of my anger. And, and I'm not saying I don't get angry, and I'm not saying I don't explore, but God has just mellowed me out so much. Like, my anger is kind of a little bit more twisted now. Like, I'm a stuffer instead of explode. So I still got some ways to go. But, like, he's, he's moving me. Like, that's just one way that he's absolutely transformed me. What's that for you? How can you look and say, God has changed me here. He's changed me in this way. And listen, that's not arrogant to share that story. Like, that is beautiful to share that story so i challenge you guys to come to our family meeting tonight and we're going to share some videos and some live testimonies of some people in our church that are not the same god has transformed their life man that's what paul is saying if you want to know it's real look at your life you're my letter you're my letter of recommendation let's keep moving though because we got some other things to get to so the spirit has the power to change our lives that's what he does it's what christianity is all about it's not so if you're here and you're not a believer listen we're not saying you need to try harder and be more religious. Something the heart of Christianity is that we are changed. And that's only possible by the Spirit of God. So second, here's what he does. The Spirit enables us to do what we can never do on our own. The Spirit enables us to do what we can never do on our own. Let's keep reading in verse 4. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Okay, so there's a little pride check for us, okay? He's like, I'm sufficient, I'm, I'm, I'm confident before God, but it's not because of me. It's not because of me. I don't have to claim anything is coming from me or coming from us. Notice what he says, though. But our sufficiency is from who? It's from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So listen, here's a statement for you. If I am in Christ, it's another way of saying if I am a follower of Jesus, if I've repented of my sin, put faith in what he has done for me alone, listen, I have what I need. I love what it says. He made us sufficient. So you may sit here and say, I don't have what I need. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. God's word says, no, 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 you can. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. You can do what he's calling you to do. 
Like you really can't change. You really can't understand the scriptures. You really can be an evangelist. You really, really can do life God's way. Not because we're, we're sufficient. We're not sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And I love that phrase. He says, who has made us to be sufficient. It's his work. He's doing that in us. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. You have enough. You have enough. Now, it may not be what you want. It may not be the amount that you think you need. But he says, you are, it's sufficient. You have what you need to accomplish my purposes and to know me and to live for my glory. That's why I would say the next statement here. I have power to accomplish God's purposes, not my plans. I have power to accomplish God's purposes, not my plans. Because he says, he's made me to be sufficient. But he doesn't stop there. He says, made me sufficient to be a minister of the new covenant. So see, we've got to understand, the Spirit of God, it's not just some power source that we tap into for us to have some superpowers to live however we want to live. And you may sit here and say, well, Derek, you're talking about God empowers me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I haven't really felt that strength. I haven't really felt that power. So I don't think it's true. I think you're lying. I, don't, I think you're deceived. I think you're delusional. But listen, maybe the reason that we're not tapping into the power source, maybe the reason that we haven't experienced the Spirit of God doing His work to make us like Jesus is because we are not engaged in His mission. This is not power for power's sake this is power for a specific purpose acts 1 8 remember that before jesus ascended he says you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be what you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth so that that power the spirit of god coming on us to empower us is so that we would witness all about christ that's what the spirit does so the spirit is constantly pushing to jesus He's going to push you and I to Jesus. He's going to use our lives to point to Jesus. And so the power is only available to be a minister of the new covenant. Literally a servant, the word minister, servant of the new covenant. What's a covenant? Well, all throughout the Old Testament, we've talked about it, that God chooses to make a relationship with us. Not based upon what we do for him, based upon solely what he's going to do for us. A covenant with God that cannot be broken upon our disobedience because he's going to take it on himself. But Paul says, listen, Paul says, it's a new covenant. I'm ministering in a new covenant. The Spirit of God is empowering me to bring upon this stage something new. So what does he mean? What does he mean? And so just a, just a little Bible 101 here. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word testament can be interchanged with covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. So Old Testament, New Testament, what's new about it? What's different? Does that just mean, hey, everything in that Old Testament that we spent, what, nine months walking through as a church? It doesn't really matter because there's something new. That's not what it means. It's not saying just forget about the Old Testament. That's old. That's yucky. We don't care about that. There's something shiny over here. It's new. That's not what he's saying here. It's a fulfillment of all that was happening in the Old Testament. So here's a couple context clues. Let's go back and look in verse 3, the last part of that that I skipped. Here's what he says. Um, This letter is written not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This letter of recommendation, the Spirit of God in us. Look down at verse 6. He has another kind of clue he gives us about what he means by new covenant. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We just read that, but notice what he says after that. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. There's our Spirit again. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See the contrast there? He says, tablets of stone versus human hearts. See it? 
Then he says, uh, the letter versus the spirit. And then he says, kill versus life. We're tracking together? It's like English class. We see it, how it's working, okay? Um, so here, here's, you guys remember back in Exodus, when God gave the law to Moses, you guys remember? He wrote those on what? Tablets of stone on, on the, the rock, right? On tablets of stone. So this is a reference to the law of God. You have this tablet of stone, this law that reveals the character of God, the holiness of God, and what it means to walk in intimacy with God. They're written on tablets of stone. And then this new covenant, though, is not just on tablets of stone. It's not external. It's an internal. It's in our hearts. It's not just a letter of, here, do this. There's a spirit that's at work here. And that, that letter and that law kills and destroys. But then the spirit in this new covenant has given us life. It's given us life. So as we read that, we go, well, okay, maybe the law is bad. We need to forget about the law. We ain't about law. We're all about grace, right? We can't be just about grace and not about the law because this is not what this means. It's not that the law is bad. Let me prove it to you. In Romans chapter 7, the words will be up on the screen. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with our hearts, okay? So let me, let me prove to you something here that Paul says in Romans 7, 12, 7, 10, rather. This is this very commandment that promised life. That's the law. Hang with me. You see that? That's the law. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Why? Well, in verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. See that? So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and it's righteous and it's good. So here's what Paul's saying to us, that the law is right. There's nothing wrong with the law. It shows us who God is. The law is perfect. The problem is not with the law. But the problem is that it's limited in what it can do for us. Because the law says, here's what you're supposed to do to be accepted before God. But we can't do that. And so listen, we are under a curse because of our rebellion. We've rebelled against God. We've broken the law willfully. And we said, we do not want to live this way. And so we walk, and as a result, God says, there's a curse on you. There's death, separation from me. There's all this suffering in the world. It's all a stemming epidemic flowing from our rebellious hearts. Everything is wrong in the world. It's flowing from our wicked hearts. And because of that, because of our rebellion, because of this curse of sin on us, we're dead apart from God. We are without excuse because the law defines our sin. That's what he says here. He's not saying that the law made me sin. Like if God wouldn't have given such a big standard, you know, like I was fine before the law came. That's not what it says. The law just shows us how bad we really are. It's like if you're driving down the road and you're speeding, you know you're speeding, you're going like 100 miles an hour. Like you clearly know that's not the speed limit. And the cop pulls you over and you say, he says, hey, do you know you're, how fast you're going? Like, yeah, 100 miles an hour. He says, do you not know that's against the law? You're breaking the law? And you're like, well, I didn't see a sign. Right? I didn't see the sign. Well, but the sign's there. It exists. And the sign's there to show you that the speed limit's 70. If you go 100, you're breaking the law, and there's punishment for that. So whether you see the sign or not, it's not really an excuse. But the sign is there. You're, you're guilty whether the sign's there or not, is what I'm saying. You're guilty. That's the law. You're guilty. But you see the sign, and that removes all guilt. If you're already speeding. You're already guilty. The sign just shows you that you're guilty. It's the proof that the police officer can show you that says, no, no, no. This curse is, this punishment that you're receiving is worth it. Like, I told you, don't go past this, and you went past this. You broke the law anyway, but the sign is just condemning. That's what the law is. We were sinners long before God gave the law. Like Adam 
Abraham, all those guys before the law came, they were still sinful. And they still had to give account for their sin. But the law came to be a, a spotlight on our sin. You say, yeah, yeah, you think you're bad, but this is how bad you really are. Like, you, you're falling way, 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 way short of the standard. That's who God is. The law is holy, and it's righteous, and it's good. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with us. And the law shows us just how bad the situation really is. How sinful we really are. And because of that, listen, we are without hope. There's not any amount of religious activity that can fix that problem. We don't want to keep the law, and we can't keep the law, even if we wanted to. And every attempt to be righteous on ourselves and on our own is just futile. It's empty. It's meaningless. You can't do it. You can buy the lie of religion that says, if I just do more, I'm here, and so maybe God's going to be more pleased with me because I'm at church this morning. And you say, no, no, that's not how we are accepted before God. Like, you can't be made right with God because of what you do. The law just shows us how bad we are, and it shows us our need for Jesus. It shows us our need for Him. It's our schoolmaster, Paul would say, that shows us, teaches us about our need for a Savior. About our need for a Savior. So, this new covenant, he says, the law just condemns us. Nothing wrong with it. It just shows us how wrong we are. And this new covenant is about making us new. That's what's new about it. Is he says this new covenant is about the heart. It's about life. That he's going to change you to be able to keep the law. You see that? It's not if it's just external, say, hey, you better try harder and do more. We're all going to fall short. He says, but hey, listen, there's a new covenant. And he's, the Spirit's empowered me to be a minister of this new covenant so that you can experience this relationship with God, this covenant with God in a new way. Not completely forgetting the law, but in a way that can fulfill it. In a way that you can actually obey. So it does not do away with it. It offers a new way to keep the law. So let's read a couple um, verses back in the Old Testament just to remind us that we read as we walked through it. But Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 18 says this. Verse 19, rather, says, I will give them one heart. So this is thousands of years before Jesus came. Okay, listen to what he said. He's prophesying about this new covenant. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put, see that, within them. That's the difference. The spirit of God would come and then leave. But he's saying the spirit of God is going to be put within them. I will remove the heart of stone, this heart that's defiant against God, this heart that cannot keep the law and doesn't want to keep the law. I will remove that heart and I will give them a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for God, a heart that's not hardened to him, so that they may. I want you to say that out loud, class participation, because I want you to get this. So let's, let's read that, those first three words of verse 20 together. One, two, three. That they may see that it changes it that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and i will be their god see what says this new heart that's going to happen inside of you is going to do something to where you may keep the law and that you may walk in a continual way the way god's designed and that you may obey all that God's commanded you. You may do that. You have access to that. You have ability to do that now because of this new covenant. Another one, Jeremiah 31, same prophecy about the new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Remember, they were divided. But he's going to unite them. I will put my law within them. See, here it is again, the indwelling 
But it's not just the Spirit doing away with the law. It's the law is going to be put on our hearts. And I will write it on their hearts. See, he's transforming us. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Same thing we saw in Ezekiel, this relationship, this fellowship with God. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. I'm going to change you and will forgive you. Why? So that I can be with you. Relationship in a fresh way that was not known for all of those years in the Old Testament. They didn't know this. This is staggering. This is new. This is new. So that's why Paul says it's the mystery of the Spirit. It's the mystery of the Spirit. Guys, remember, let's, I'm almost finished. Let's remember this together, okay? In the Old Testament, that God walked with them in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Remember he walked with them, that fellowship with God. He was among them. And then uh, when they were in the Exodus, they had the pillar of cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night. God was guiding them. He was leading them. He was among his people. And then in the temple, he had, they had access to the presence of God in a veiled way. They could be with God through the temple. That was his manifest presence. You guys remember that? He was among them. God always wanted to be with his people. But then in the new covenant, this Jesus enters into the scenes. What we celebrate in Advent is that God is with us. Emmanuel. He's not just among us in these signs and in these ways, that he's actually with us, that he walks with us, and he talks with us, and he's, he's very, very present with us. But then it gets a little bit deeper. It's not just God among us. It's not just God with us. Hang with me. Listen. Here's the, the next step of the new covenant. Not just God with us. But let's read Colossians 1 uh, to close here. Colossians 1, verse 25. It says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So all this Old Testament stuff, all this stuff we've been walking through, it can be fully known, fully revealed. Notice what he calls this, this new covenant in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations. They long to understand what Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others are talking about, about this new covenant, about this heart of flesh. But now it's revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery, church? Let's read it out loud together. Which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not just God among us, not just God with us. Listen, it is God in us. That's what Christianity is about. It's the new covenant. He resides in us. He's, he's, he indwells us. So listen, the Christian life is not Christ and me. It's not, hey, Jesus is like my helper. He's like empowering me for the things that I can't really do. And like we're doing this thing together. No, 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 that's not what it is. It's not Christ and me. It is Christ in me. It is his life being pressed out through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a power available to you to do what he's called you to do. If you miss that, you will be miserable. You will be miserable. So Colossians 1, he keeps going. says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, there's that becoming like Jesus again. We put him on display so that we might become like Jesus. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So here's what he says, and I promise we're done. Christian life is about toiling. 
See that? I toil. It's work. It's hard. But it matters how you toil. If you toil on your own, in your own power, you're going to be miserable. Listen, guys. Toil and work by the power of the Spirit that He, with all of His energy, is powerfully working within me. That's what God's doing in you. Do you know that kind of power? Have you experienced that? That is what it means to follow Jesus. Do you know that kind of power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know how to listen to Him? Do you know how to walk with Him? Do you know how to be guided and directed by Him? That's not mystical. That's real. And it's rooted in His Word. It's not some far-off thing that He's going to speak to us something that's not flowing from this book. It's rooted in this. But the Spirit of God will enable us to be like Jesus. That's what He does. So if you'll bow with me, close your uh, eyes and bow your heads, and the team can come up. We're going to enter into this time of response. But I want to really give us a space to kind of to let this speak to us. Like, do we really, really know God in this way? Like, have you been experienced this? It's the difference between building and planting. You can go out tonight, and you can plant a brick in your yard. But you go back next month, and you're not going to see a house. Like, that's not how this works. Like, if you plant a brick, nothing's going to grow. Like, you have to build. It's, it's mechanical. But if you go out and you plant a seed... And you wait a little bit, and you water it, and you toil, you, you work the soil, and you cultivate it, and you feed it. Eventually, you're going to reap a harvest. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what the life of the Spirit is like. It's not like we have to build and try more and add all this stuff to our lives. It is tapping into this power that we have. It's the seed of the Word of God, powered by the Spirit of God, that will produce life change. It will produce fruit in us. Do you know God that way? And he keeps going, and he says that, talked about Moses, how his face shone after he came down off the mountain with the law. He had to veil his face, but now we don't have a veil. The veil's gone. You can see God face to face. You have access into a relationship, relationship with God. As the band begins to lead us, listen, do you want to be with God? Like, I don't understand so many of us. I, I, I want sometimes in my own heart, like, sometimes I don't even think I want to be with him. Like, Throughout the generations, God's people longing to be in the presence of God, longing to have this power, and we have it, guys. Listen, we have the Spirit of God. We have everything that we need. You have direct access right now to be with Him. And I, don't, I think we're just so distracted that we don't care. We want to live our lives. We're content to live in our own power. We don't want to really be with Him. And I don't understand that about my soul. Like, why don't I want to be with God? And I think it's because I don't see Him. Because if you see Him, you'll see that He's everything. And so what we're going to ask is the Spirit of God, please, come, open up our eyes. Remove the veil. Whatever's keeping me from seeing you, rip it out of my life. I want to see you. I want to know your power. I want to be with you and I want to confess all the reasons that I don't. God, show me your glory. And here's the good news. is We don't have to just drum that up. He's here. We're going to sing this song, and I want everybody to stay seated. And it's a new song. It's a little different. I'm going to be honest about it. And the lyrics go something like this. It says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And what we're not saying is that we need some feeling of the Spirit, some weird way. We're going to get more of the Spirit. Listen, we have everything part of the spirit of god in us okay we have all of him but we're saying we want to experience him in a fresh way when we say follow fresh 
We're not asking him to come and do something he hasn't already done. We're saying we want to tap in to who he is and what he's doing in us. And so the band's going to sing this. Let's just stay seated in a posture of prayer. You can sing along if you can pick up on it. But Lord, restore to us the joy of following you. Fill us with your spirit, we pray.